Will you pray with me? So Lord, just as you spoke those wonderful words that we have just heard read to your disciples, we come expecting and anticipating that you will speak to each one of us a personal word. And we thank you that you are the vine and we are the branches and we get to abide in you and you in us. So come, Lord Jesus, and let what has been read through your word and is proclaimed this morning uh, be affected in our midst and accomplished in our midst. For we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I was a young pastor in my early 20s, three years or so out of Asbury Seminary, and I was attending a day-long continuing education event for pastors. But before they introduced the main speaker that I was looking forward to hearing that day, they trotted out this retired old Salvation Army officer to lead us in a devotional time. His name was Lyle Rader, and he was in his late 70s. And years later, I would learn that he had a son named Paul who became the first American-born general of the Salvation Army and who served for many years on our seminary board of trustees here and came out of retirement to spend a few years as the president of what is now Asbury University across the street. Anyway, I, I didn't know any of all that, but in his talk, Lyle Rader started reminiscing about his relationship as a young Salvation Army officer with Samuel Logan Brengel. Now, Samuel Logan Brengel, if you didn't know it, was a spiritual giant and a great leader in the Salvation Army during the early decades of the 20th century. He was good friends with Henry Clay Morrison, the man that founded this seminary. And when Lyle Rader was in his 20s in officer's training school, Bringle and him, Bringle and Rader became close friends, and they developed a sort of intimate Paul-Timothy relationship. And one day, uh, Rader said that he asked Bringle a question that had been on his mind for a long time. Sir, over the years, I just wonder, what have been your greatest temptations in ministry? Well, Bringle said, uh, rather, Lyle Rader said Bringle was quiet for a moment. And, and then he said, well, actually, I've only had one real temptation in ministry. And I've discovered that if I win the battle at the place of this temptation, then it's as if everything else in my life and ministry falls into place. But if I lose the battle at the point of this temptation, then it's as if all hell breaks loose and I find myself wrestling with all sorts of other kinds of temptations. 
Well, Lowrader was a little surprised by that answer, but his curiosity was piqued. Tell me, he said, what's been your one great temptation in ministry? I'll never forget what Rader told us that Brengel said. He said, it's the temptation to want to do something for God each day before I've simply spent time with him. I needed to hear that in my first few years out of seminary uh, because I had plunged into my work as a pastor. Doing things for God had become my focus, not spending time with him. And when I did spend time with him, like a car pulling into a gas station when it's running on fumes, it was, it was just primarily so I could get fueled up to get back on the road again and do some more ministry. Spending time with him, with Jesus, deepening my relationship with Jesus, rather than that being an end in itself, was essentially for me a kind of a means to an end of furthering myself and furthering ministry. Well, what Brengel said to Rader convicted me that day. And that conviction grew deeper in me, especially as I found myself drawn to this familiar passage in John chapter 11, John 15, uh, rather verses 1 through 11, our scripture for today, our I'm the vine, you are the branches. Now, Jesus makes it absolutely clear here that branches do, in effect, exist to bear fruit. And so bearing fruit is important. And if branches don't bear fruit, they're going to get pruned and cut away and thrown into the fire. And even those that do bear fruit are pruned so they'll bear more fruit. But branches can be fruitful only if they abide in the vine. Those who abide in me, Jesus says, and I in them, they bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. So according to this passage, what matters most, according to Jesus, is abiding. And in fact, 10 times in the span of these 11 verses, Jesus says, Abide in me. Fruit bearing is important, yes, but there's no command in these verses to bear fruit. The command is to abide in him. So bearing fruit, you see, is not an end in itself. It's a consequence of abiding. Mother Teresa understood this. You know, when we think of her, we think of her incredible sacrificial work among the poor and the dying in, in Calcutta. But you know, what she said to Henry Nowen when he was over there in Calcutta visiting with her? Henry Nowen was a Roman Catholic priest, and 
So at one point, while he was there, he said to Mother Teresa, tell me, Mother Teresa, how can I best go about fulfilling my vocation as a priest? In a way, it was a similar question to the question that Rader had asked Brengel, and interestingly, Henry Nowen got a similar answer. Oh, Henry, she said with a twinkle and a smile, that's easy. Just spend one hour a day, Henry, in adoration of your Lord. And never do anything you know is wrong, Henry, and you'll be all right. <laughs> it reminds me of what Augustine said back in the fifth century, love God and do as you please. Nowen uh, said, he wrote about this in one of his books, that he was a little taken aback at the simplicity of Mother Teresa's response. But then he realized the wisdom behind it. And he writes, like all great disciples of Jesus, Mother Teresa affirmed again the truth that ministry can be fruitful, get this now, only when it grows out of, an, of, of a direct an intimate encounter with our Lord. First and foremost, Jesus calls us to be with him, to abide in him. The most important thing that you and I, uh, that we as Christian leaders have to do each day, and the real struggle the really hard thing is to abide in him, to deepen our relationship with him, to simply be a branch that abides in the vine. Zoswell Chambers says, the main thing about Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain. And the atmosphere produced by that relationship, in fact, says Chambers, often the greatest competitor of devotion for, to Jesus is service for him. Martha, what you're doing is important. It's necessary. But your sister Mary, she has chosen the one thing needful, and I won't keep her from doing that. So let's take a look at these verses in John 15 to see why abiding is so important. Let's see what happens according to Jesus when we as branches abide in the vine. I just want to lift up four things. First of all, abiding in Christ, in the vine, as a branch, connects us to his love. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. When we abide in him, we're enveloped, we're embraced, we are connected to the love that Jesus has for us. And it's interesting in this passage that Jesus tells us something about the love that he has for us. He says, as the Father 
has loved me. That's the way I love you. We get a glimpse, don't we, of the love that the Father has for the Son on the day of Jesus' baptism when Jesus came up out of the water of the Jordan and he heard the Father's voice from heaven. You're my beloved, my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And it was that profound awareness of the Father's love, his his acceptance, you're my son, his affection, my beloved, his affirmation in whom I'm well pleased. That was the foundation of the ministry of Jesus. His ministry flowed out of that and was sustained by that. And Jesus says, the way the Father loves me, that's how I love you. So abide in my love. I think if if I could translate that word abide here, I might just want to say marinate in it. Soak in it. How desperately those of us in Christian leadership and ministry regularly need to hear Jesus saying to us what the Father said to him. My daughter. My son, my beloved, I know you're not pleased with yourself, but I'm pleased with you. And it's, it's if you know, hey, if, if you're in ministry, people will criticize. They can be so ruthless and cruel sometimes. Mark it down, pastor. The sheep that you've called to shepherd will bite. And they do bite. And you know, when they don't do it to us, we do it to ourselves, don't we? Beat ourselves up for our failures and our inadequacies. And it's when we abide in him that we hear his voice, this voice of love. The voice of my beloved. And you know, when you get gripped anew and afresh by his love for you, and when it sort of penetrates and sinks into some nook and cranny of your heart where it's just never quite gotten before. Listen, when that happens, it it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you or says about you. His love is enough. So when we abide, Jesus says, we are enveloped in his love for us. And then second, abiding connects us to his pruning and his cleansing and his transforming work in us. As Jesus says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus is engaged, isn't he, in a work of transformation, sanctification in each one of our lives. And you know, when we spend time with him, time in his presence 
If we stay there long enough, it won't be long before the negative stuff inside of us begins to come up. We encounter our negative feelings and, and our emotions and our fears and our anger and our shame and our frustration and our disappointment. But instead of denying those things or hiding from them, Jesus invites us to lay them at his feet. And then he helps us to go deeper and to begin to see what it is in us that's fueling those emotions in his presence. We find ourselves coming face to face with our idolatries and our false self. I remember a conversation I had with Jesus a number of years ago. It went something like this. I said, Lord, I'm just so angry right now. I'm so mad right now about what so-and-so and and some people have been saying about me, the way they've been critical. They don't know my heart. And Jesus said, yeah, I know, Steve. It really hurt, didn't it? I'm glad you're being honest and real about what you're feeling. But I wonder, Steve, why is it that you need their love and approval so much anyway? You know, you've made an idol out of that. Steve, isn't my love and approval for you enough? Do you have to have everyone else's too? Ouch. (laughs) You know, the Desert Fathers looked upon prayer and silence and solitude uh, when we spend time in the presence of Jesus as a furnace of transformation, they called it. A furnace of transformation. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we sometimes run away, why we'd much rather be busy doing ministry, because then we don't have to face ourselves. We don't like it when our fig leaves are exposed, do we? And yet we discover, we discover that in his presence, as we rest in him, I'll never get over this. The more our darkness is exposed, it seems the lovelier we are to him. When we abide in him, we encounter his love. We also experience the pruning and cleansing in a furnace of transformation. And third, abiding in him connects us to his word and his will. Jesus says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You know, when we abide in him, what he wills, And what he says and what we will 
those two things begin to get closer together and come closer together. As his word abides in us more and more, what we ask for and what he wills, and not just, folks, what he wills, but how he wills what he wills and when he wills what he wills, We, we, those things become one and the same. You see, when we abide in him, we not only experience his love, we, we experience his friendship. Our scripture reading stopped at verse 11, but just four verses later, verse 15 is where Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. When we abide He friends us. No, not on Facebook. (laughs) But I call you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. When we abide, he lets us in on what's on his heart and what he wants to do and how he wants to do it, and when he wants to do it. And then as we surrender, our will gets aligned with his, and we ask for whatever we wish for, and it's done for us. You see, the intimacy of friendship leads to the authority uh, in asking and boldness in prayer. And it's in this process of abiding, folks, that all this gets worked out. It's when we abide that we get on the same page with God. And then amazing things happen. Finally, Jesus abide says twice in this passage, abide in me as I Abide in you as I abide in you. Abiding in Christ commits us to his life in his, it connects us rather to his life in us. When we abide, Jesus says he'll abide in us. Isn't that cool? He promises, you abide in me, I'll abide in you. I hate to be the one to tell you, but what people need from you is not more of you. (laughs) But more of Jesus. And the way they're going to get more of Jesus is not because you determine you're going to be like Jesus, but because you let Jesus be Jesus in you. You see, Jesus doesn't need your help to be Jesus. He just needs you to abide in him so that he can abide in you. And if we abide in him, he he promises, I will abide in you. You know, when we abide, Jesus gets to be Jesus in us, and then we just get to go along for the ride. Well, I've talked about four things that happen, and if I had more time, I'd talk about four things that Jesus says will happen as a result of those things happening. But let me just tell you what they are. We'll bear much fruit. 
we'll experience his joy, we'll glorify his Father, and we'll prove to be his disciples. But I need to wrap this up. So let me begin to conclude. <laughs> when Jessica asked me to preach today, it, it was in conjunction with this year-long emphasis at the seminary on the means of grace. Yet I haven't said anything about the means of grace today, have I? Well, actually, I think I have. You see, I believe if, if you understand the why, you'll figure out the how. Wesley's means of grace, and particularly his five instituted means of grace, prayer, searching the scripture, the Lord's Supper, fasting and Christian community, banding. Do, do you understand why these are so vital, so important, so indispensable. Folks, the means of grace are just the chief means of abiding. These practices are not ends in themselves, but means to the most important end of all. Abiding in him and he in us. Believe me, it will take you years to figure out all the hows, all the ins and outs of engaging in these practices. Trust me, you will feel like a failure much of the time. That's okay. Remember what Woody Allen said, 85% of life is just showing up. <laughs> Keep showing up. Keep practicing the means of grace. When it comes to abiding, there's no other way. So 10 years ago, at the invitation of Bishop Sundo Kim, I went along with a group of DMEN students from Asbury to visit Korea. And while we were there, we spent a good deal of time at the Kwan Lim Methodist Church. You see the picture of it there. The, that's the church in Seoul that Bishop Kim had been the pastor of for a number of years and how under his years of wonderful leadership, that particular church eventually became at that time what was the largest Methodist church in the world. And we spent time in worship there and with the congregation and the laity and the pastors. And then we went to visit Bishop Kim himself at his office up on the sixth, seventh floor, somewhere up there uh, of, the, of the office complex that's the part of the church campus. And he has uh, such a beautiful office up there. And he invited us in and served us tea and was just such a gracious host for us and talked with us about ministry and so forth. It was, a, it was a wonderful time. But you know what impressed me the most that day? It wasn't that amazing Quan Lim church, the campus, or Bishop Kim's beautiful office, but rather it was the small room right off his office. 
It was his prayer closet. Because that's where it all ends and it all begins. That's what Samuel Logan Brengel understood. That's what Mother Teresa, that's what all great disciples of Jesus have come to understand. It all ends and begins right there. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to invite the praise team to come and as they come, I, uh, I, just, I just want to open this altar this morning for prayer and whether you come or just make your place of seating where you're seated at an altar it doesn't matter but uh, I just I just I just have a, a strong conviction in a sense that the Lord's wanting to call you back to himself and maybe You've made it about something else and not about abiding in him. I want to call you back to the priority of abiding. We, as we, we sang it in that song earlier. Oh, I'm running to his arms. You need to come running to his arms today. Lord, forgive me. I've made it about me. I've made it about ministry. I've made it about work. I want to make it about you. And I want, to, I want to issue this invitation not just to you as an individual, but to this community. Because I believe God is calling Asbury to a, a renewed place of making this the heart and the center of everything, of our lives, of our institutional life. This is a part of our DNA, folks. This is who we are. So if the Lord is, is calling you to make spending time with him, abiding in him, first and foremost, then you respond as we as we sing, as the team leads us. Will you stand now?